Reopening Delaware, a special presentation of The Rick Jensen Show on WDEL. Join us now as we navigate the future of our state through and beyond the COVID-19 crisis. Here's Rick Jensen. Dr. Sandra Gibney. She's been an emergency department physician for well over 25 years, board certified here in Delaware. She's been on this program many, many times. I consider her to be an excellent go-to source when it comes to the coronavirus, COVID-19. She's on Lieutenant Governor's uh, COVID-19 task force. Uh, gets the emails and reads them every week uh, you know, from the CDC, is in contact with other physicians on a regular basis, and is basically great source of great knowledge, Dr. Sandra Gibney. Thanks for being on, Sandra. Hi, Rick. How are you? Um, I'm well, thanks. Now, let's get right to this on the vaccine. So as we hear on WDEL News from what the governor said yesterday and Dr. Carol Rattay said yesterday, uh, we now have an hierarchy, a plan for people getting vaccines. But there's some other questions people may have as well um, in, in addition to all that. And uh, and that that is, um, what about some of these other things we're hearing about the vaccine? Now, I'll say this right from the offset. I am an advocate for the vaccine and i highly recommend everybody get the vaccine whether it's pfizer or moderna which is out right now i know there's some more uh, that are coming out astrazeneca and such like that pfizer is the one that's available now is that correct well actually both of them are available now um, moderna moderna is, is it, also, okay right yeah so the state uh, is getting 5,800 doses of Moderna um, this week, and that's also going to go um, to healthcare providers. But the state has received a total um, of 16,700 doses of Moderna, as well as 11,700 doses of the Pfizer vaccine. So both oh. are now being widely distributed um, throughout healthcare workers. And we can talk further about where the plan is going forward, but um, both vaccines are in our state. 16,700 of the first of two doses of this vaccine. How many are needed in the healthcare industry here in Delaware? Yeah, so I, we think probably maybe twice that amount um, to, to be able to fully vaccinate um, not only our healthcare providers within the hospital systems, but also paramedics, ambulance drivers, including volunteer ambulance drivers. Um, and then we start talking about what happens within the hospital, um, and we can talk about that, but not only the, the doctors and the nurses within the hospital, in the ICUs, the EDs, and in the COVID floors, but we also found that a lot of the individuals that work in food service and environmental service, our data showed that they have a high rate of exposure and bringing it out to the community. Um, so they are also going to be soon on the list to be vaccinated, as well as the operating room nurses and pre-op PACU. Um, uh, we feel like those people that will be most at risk um, to spread it or if they get sick are high on the list. Um, and so within a healthcare system such as Bay Health or Christiana or St. Francis, there's many tiers within that hospital system that have to be vaccinated. Um, and so those are sort of the way we're going. And then, of course, we have our nursing homes that, that are going to be starting um, getting vaccinations through our pharmacies um, throughout the community, which would be Walgreens and CVS. Um, and, and then, as we know, the governor has made Delaware a little unique in that uh, our sister states, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, are using 75 and over as that next tier of people to get vaccinated. 
because most of our studies in our African-American populations, Hispanic populations and um, uh, the American Indian population, they tend to get more sick sooner. And so 65 is kind of a safety net for us used as what's going to be that next tier for people to get vaccinated within the community that really have nothing to do perhaps with the healthcare system, but they're at very high risk if they get sick. And that has been borne out in our population studies within even all those folks that uh, we see in the hospital, but who I swabbed in the community, like who really gets sick. So governor's being real smart and he's bumping up that age, or I should say down, so that 65 will be the next grouping of people um, that'll start getting involved. But there is a total of 8,500 um doses that um, have been given to medical workers in Delaware so far. Um, There's a two-day lag, about 48 hours from the time they're vaccinated to the time we actually report those numbers. Um, For example, an additional 400 people were vaccinated Tuesday night um, in Kent. Those haven't yet been recorded. It's just a, you know, record-keeping thing. But um, but it's, it's a very unique situation to create a tiered environment for distribution of the vaccine. So let's go ahead and talk about this. Um, 16,700 total doses, state of Delaware, and the estimate is we probably need 35,000 or more just for health care workers and those who are at risk of being exposed while working in the health care business, whether it's a food supplier or something like that. Uh, what does that mean regarding timing? Um, if, if, if we've got 16,700, we need 35,000 or more for the health care workers. How does this work out in timing with people who are in nursing homes and assisted living facilities, and then the third one down being folks over 65? Right. So the state is also getting another 5,800 doses of Moderna that is coming this week, and that will also go to healthcare care providers. Um, and additionally, there's 6,000 Pfizer doses that are going directly to pharmacies and such as CVS and Walgreens, and they are going to be used to give to long care facility residents um, and workers within that. And then there's an additional 8,775 doses that will be used, as I said, for a second dose uh, for those people that receive their first dose. So that remember when we were talking, I said, you know, this is going to happen concomitantly, like one group yeah. is going to be getting it. So that's sort of what we're kind of at that stage now where we're kind of teeing up the next group of people while we're still finishing the first group of of individuals. And it's going to happen in that kind of sequence because we don't want to wait to finish everybody and then start another group. And I, I do know, like for me, being an independent vaccinator as well for those of vulnerable communities uh, are homeless and um, that are living now in the shelters, such as Sunday Breakfast Mission and the new Hope Center, um, those individuals are soon also going to be getting vaccinations from me. Um, And so there's a lot of tiers that are going to happen, you know, together at the same time, kind of moving parts. Well, let me ask you a question. Why is it, you said we, and I imagine some people who are uh, on the advisory council and everything for the lieutenant governor and the, the COVID task force and all. Um, so when you use the, the pronoun we, understand who this is. So then why is it we don't want to vaccinate one group, like all the hospital workers and healthcare workers, and then another group, like, say, those who are in long-term care and such? Why why do you want to be vaccinating uh, co-commonly as opposed to 
getting one done and then going on to the next one? Right. So good question. Sometimes um, it takes time to disperse the vaccination. So you don't want to wait while you're tracking down all the people that you want to do within one grouping. Um, it's better to get, you know, the within each hospital system to they've been um, given aliquot to the vaccine to distribute um, to their best knowledge who they feel like it could be most effective for. But at the meantime, there's also has to be other places um, and I, I get the point. It's like you're painting a house. Do you just wait till you finish painting the front or do you send people and, and paint all sides of the house because you need to get everything done together? Um, so th- this is what we feel is to get the most vaccine available to the most diverse areas at the same time without mm-hmm. being delayed. So if we sat and waited for every individual at the healthcare level to come up and get a vaccine and somebody's on a two week vacation, then we've lost two weeks. Um, you waiting for that one individual that would show up, but, but we get the most amount of, I should say, where we're painting a broad brush to make sure that each sector that we're looking at. And, and there's a lot of things around vaccination, Rick. I mean, um, I'm a vaccinator, but before you can do that, you have to go through how you're going to storage and process. Do you have the needles? Do you have the, all the supplies to give it? You have to sign people up. They have to get consent. There has to be a patient portal set up. There has to be reporting. Um, and then that's part of it. Although, you know, nationwide, there's been 11.4 million doses of the vaccine shipped. We so far have only given the first dose of vaccination to 2.1 million people. Part of that has to do, it's been distributed, but there's also the mechanics of actually giving it. Um, And so things were getting, I believe the state's doing an amazing job and getting better at how we distribute it. And again, we haven't done anything like this since the polio uh, vaccine where we had a had a contagion that we had a max that, you know, maximally and quickly vaccinated a large amount of people. I mean, they had poster children like Elvis showing how to get the polio vaccine because people not only were hesitant, but also for, you know, to spread the knowledge. And that's part of the, what, what, you know, you're doing and I'm doing as well is that getting people to know, like, this is the first contagion that we've had to do a widespread vaccination since the polio virus. Now, is it as deadly as polio? Early on, we were worried, but there's a lot of people that are walking, you know, walking around with uh, a lot of disability from the polio virus. So that's why, you know, the hesitancy to get vaccinated. We want to give people all the information that they possibly can so they can make an informed decision whether or not they want to get vaccinated and what vaccine they want to use. But I think it's important for everyone to realize that if we're in this together, that if we vaccinate the largest amount of people, then we exhaust the source for this virus to be able to pass from one person to the other. And this is how we eradicate it um and again, i want to interrupt like, you right now too because yeah. you, you said something that that makes some people cringe and i want to uh explain this to my listeners who do you know you, you hear somebody who has income who's making a living say we're in this together and some people t- they cringe because you know we do and i and i have criticized the you know, lawmakers for example on a number of different issues when it comes to you know, being in this together but they're making money other money other people have not i just want people listening to know 
that uh, year after year, Sandra Gibney, and I'm going to embarrass you here, but I happen to know this, and I'm going to share it with people. When Sandra Gibney says we're in this together, understand something. Whether it's the opioid crisis, uh, whether it's Narcan, or even uh, when it comes to uh, you know the, uh, the pandemic as well, she has personally given what would be the equivalent of a, um, a median Delaware salary. She has given that much of her own money thousands and thousands of dollars uh, to help people with uh, opioid addictions, uh, getting Narcan, and uh, and putting together teams uh, like this to go and test folks, um, you know, for coronavirus and such. So I just want people to know that when you say we're in this together, you're one of the few people who I think uh, can actually prove that, yes, you're doing the things that, that show that you actually truly do believe in, and feel that way. I want to get to something else here, too, because you mentioned the polio vaccine, Elvis, and everybody getting the vaccinations. Um, I, I thought it was a good thing for Pence to get the vaccination. Trump couldn't because uh, he had been exposed uh, so recently that physicians say that no, when you have a certain amount of antigens uh, from potential uh, early exposure that you cannot get the vaccine. We don't think it's the right thing to do at this point. I thought that was a good thing. However, um, I also agree with Tulsi Gabbard, who's uh, you know Democrat and younger than, than 65, saying it's not the right place uh, for you know these, these folks in Congress and everything to be getting the vaccine when nurses and the elderly and, and others um, haven't yet got gotten their vaccines. And I'm wondering, is that sort of thing taken into consideration when uh, the folks in the government and the healthcare uh, experts and all are getting together on this and deciding who's going to get the vaccine? That's a great, that's a great uh, talking point. And I think it's been discussed when we look at people that are hesitant to get the vaccine, like what's that about? And what do you do about that? Well, there's two kind of tiers to that. Like, how do you deal with that? One of them is um, you educate people, which is what you're doing. The other thing you do is you take like people or people that are trusted or we think are community leaders and you put them in, out in front of the public and say, if it's OK for Jimmy Carter to eat peanuts, I guess I can eat peanuts. If it's OK for Rick Jensen to get the vaccine, I guess I'm going to do it, too. And so some of this is a, a trust. Of, of people that we picked as our leaders um, that to show that if they're doing it, w- w- it probably is okay. They're not, they're putting themselves out there to say, they're not going to, I'll take it, you know, I'll, I'll step up. So I think part of that is um, why the reason we do some of that, but also I think the hesitancy, and this is my personal opinion, is somewhat was people were concerned that there was politicizing going on about, the vaccine release about its use and whether or not that would be affected. But I have to tell you, uh, I'm not a scientist. I'm a doctor. But as a scientist, um, they're not going to be swayed by whatever politician or whatever celebrity or whether Sting gets up there and gets it. Um, But um, they are going to be swayed by the scientific data. And I'm in that camp that um, I do think there's two tiers. There's one is I want to make sure it's safe and scientifically sound and that the data supports it. But then there's that second level of getting the folks to believe it. And, and thank you for what you said about on the street. But part of that is reaching folks and saying, it's OK, I'm here and I'm doing this and I'm not going to hurt you. 
um, I'm trying to help. And so I think the other thing that people need to realize is there's this huge safety net that, that has been created for this vaccination as we go. Um, you know, there's all, all different reporting. There's a, a there's multiple safety nets. But for us as vaccinator, we have a vaccine adverse event reporting system. We have a vaccine safety data link. We have something called prison. All these things we have to report any adverse events. But in doing what you're doing, we're educating providers, we're educating teachers, we're educating other healthcare workers to understand what this is about and why it's important. Okay, I need um, that. I, I need. Yeah. I need. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. you made your point very well. Uh, I'm going to ask you for a couple of short answers here, but I really appreciate you going yeah. to depth. I want to get to Rick real quick at five two nine one zero one seven. He's got a question for you, uh, Doctor Sandra Gibney. So, Rick, say hi to Sandra. Hi, Sandra. How are you today? Hi, Rick. Thanks for calling in. How can I help? I have a question. I've uh, had the COVID virus, and I have the antibodies. Actually, I donated convalescent uh, plasma twice, nice. and I still have the antibodies. Why would I need to get a vaccine? Great question. And um, so there is natural immunity, and then there's induced immunity. And we're not sure which is better, but most people think natural immunity is better, meaning that your body has seen the virus um, and now has neutralizing antibodies. And all the vaccines work by inducing viral neutralizing antibodies. And so you naturally have done this by exposure. And we think some people, like doctors, get immunity because we're given little aliquots of exposures to the vaccine. But here's the thing. We don't know the length or durability of protection. Um, Now, you might have protection three months. You might have protection for three years. But having antibody titers does not necessarily, how do I want to say, protect you in fully understanding that that antibody will kill the virus. We know you measured a number. And in addition to that, we may not know. We may have to get the uh, the vaccine every year because we're learning more about that. Rick, I appreciate the call. Uh, We're seeing this virus variant strand, the mutating uh, virus. What does that mean to us and and the effect on... uh, Uh, the efficacy of current vaccines? So great question once again. So we know that typically there's different viral variants that emerge or disappear. And some of them emerge because the variant makes them easier to spread to humans. Um, All virus mutate regularly. And in fact, there's typically one new mutation in the genome of any virus every two weeks. Many of the mutations are silent, meaning they don't change any of the proteins um, that they encode for. But there's typically a three-letter codon that's going to translate into what amino acid or protein is going to be made. So some of these mutations that change the codon will lead to a change in the protein or amino acid, and we call those um, synonymous mutations. And some of them make little subtle changes that make no difference on the proteins that are expressed. So, for example, um, for the COVID virus, it has a variant mutation discovered in United Kingdom in London. The mutation is on the receptor binding domain, which is basically the spike protein, and that is where uh, it adheres to the ACE2 receptor. 
And so that little variation that we're talking so much about on the media changed one amino acid, asparagine, to tyrosine. Does that seem important? And, and what does that mean when it comes to the vaccine, briefly? Yep. So basically that changed. We do not think that the vaccine will have any uh, less potency against it because we know the vaccines trigger and are targeted for multiple targets on that right. spike protein. It's this kind of like the first. It's thing. kind of like the first mutation. I am interrupting because we only have about forty-five seconds. It's kind of like the first <clears throat> mutation, which created a flap on this receptor and didn't change anything. Uh, and now, Doctor Gibney, a real quick answer here. Um, we're seeing that some people are getting a positive for the virus two weeks after the vaccine. Is that something to be concerned about? No, we think that these people were probably either a infected infected prior to the vaccine or that these people basically um, had a period of time where they didn't get. Uh, so you either had the va- if, if it's positive, you either had COVID all along and then you got vaccinated, or in the period after you get vaccinated, before you get immunity, you get sick. So nobody that gets the vaccine and gets a positive COVID test was because of the vaccine. It's because they were either sick before they got the vaccine or in that window of time after getting the vaccine and getting immunity build up naturally, they contracted COVID. So that's why it's important. One quick thing, really, really important. Even if those people that got the vaccine, they still got to socially distance, wear a mask and wash their hands because you got time at least two weeks from the time you get the vaccination. So we think you could probably have the viral uh, antibodies that are needed. So still do what you need to do and still follow those uh, fundamental public health practices. Um, because again, we don't know your response and it's going to be at least a couple of weeks. So people have to protect themselves and don't go waving a flag. I'm vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. No, I know. I know. Yeah. Wait a couple of weeks before you get out there. But besides, there's no full protection until the second vaccine anyway. Dr. Sandra Gibney, thanks so much for your time. Always, Rick. It's a pleasure. Anytime. This has been a special presentation of Reopening Delaware. Stay here for continuing coverage on The Rick Jensen Show, right here on 1150 AM and 1017 FM, WDEL.